Brothers and sisters in Christ, would you please join us for our prayer of elimination. Calm us now, O Lord, into a quietness that heals and listens. Open wounded hearts to the balm of your word. Speak to us in clear tones so that we may feel our spirits leap for joy and skip with hope as your resurrection witnesses. Amen. The first reading to the, of the day is from the book of Exodus, chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are already ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 4, verses 5 through 42. So Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks 
of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become to them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then the disciples came, and they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But, but no one said to him, what do you want, or why are you speaking to her? And then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city, and she said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He surely cannot be the Messiah, can he? And they left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you say, Four months from now, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap, but for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans came from the city believing in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done, she said. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. <clears throat> I'm sure, um, like many of you, uh, I have been greatly disturbed by the images that I have seen uh, on uh, on TV and, and through the internet uh, at our southern border, um, especially the Haitians, uh, desperate Haitian people seeking asylum. 
people running blindly from the chaos and confusion of their own torn and tattered country to just to try to find some relief. It just seems to me that Haiti can't catch a break. Now, I've been to Haiti many times. I've been going down there for over a decade, sometimes multiple times a year, and I have a lot of friends there. I've learned a tremendous amount from my friends in Haiti. And one of the things that I have learned about from my friends there uh, maybe is how important water is. Uh, they always are making sure that I'm drinking enough water when I'm there because it's really hot. And secondly, they make sure that the water that I'm drinking is good water. It's water that won't make me sick. One of the important ministries of Haiti Outreach Ministries, our mission partner there in Haiti, is that every time that they build a, a campus, uh, with, each campus has a, a, a school, a church, a medical clinic, and a, a, a purified water system. And that's the second thing they build. When they buy a piece of property, they put a wall around it to keep the property secure. And in one of those corners, they will build a well house and they'll, they'll dig a well, they'll put a filtration on it, uh, many times with the help of a great organization like Water Missions who spends uh, millions of dollars around the world just making sure that people have safe filtered drinking water to drink. Now that water is available to anyone in that community. They don't have to go to church at HOM, they don't have to be a part of their organization. Uh, all they have to do is line up at the water station with a bucket and, uh, and it's filled. Um, it, it's really something to see because you can imagine this uh, very impoverished country, all kinds of buckets and contraptions that people bring to these, uh, to these wells to, to get water. Um, it, it's pretty amazing. And they're there in line from when the station opens until it closes every day. Uh, a very vivid memory I have uh, on one of my trips to Haiti uh, was a young woman coming into uh, one of those water stations. Uh, my group was working uh, on rebuilding a wall. Like I said, there's a wall around each campus. And uh, in City Soleil, which is where we were, this particular campus, the wall borders an open sewer. Uh, and the sewer was starting to seep into the playground where the kids were. So we were trying to seal up that, that wall to protect the children. Um, where we were, where I was working that day was maybe about 20 yards from the, uh, from the water station, and my job was uh, to load sand. A big dump truck came in in the morning, backed in there, dumped a big load of sand that would probably fill up the area up here, and we had to use wheelbarrows to haul it back uh, to the gate, and, or back to the back where the, where the brick masons were. Um, it, it was hot, it was dirty work. Uh, when I say a wheelbarrow, I'm not talking about probably the really nice wheelbarrow that's in your uh, garage. Uh, if you've ever been on any of these trips, and I see a few of you out there that have been, uh, the equipment you get in a third world country is usually pretty uh, almost to the edge of worthless. Uh, my particular wheelbarrow was, had, was really held together with some wire. Uh, the tire was flat and crooked and wobbly. And the shovel that I had to use, uh, the handle was broken, and uh, the blade was bent. But you still get the work done. You still shovel the sand, you still haul it back in the blazing sun. It was, it was brutal work. But at some point during that endeavor, I noticed uh, a young girl come through the gate, 
And I think, I don't know what attracted my eye to her, but maybe that she was just pretty tiny and frail. Um, she had in her hand one of those, uh, what I call a pickle bucket, one of those white buckets. You can get them, uh, well, they're blue if you buy them at Lowe's, and they're orange if you buy them at Home Depot. Uh, but when I grew up, they were all white. It's about a five-gallon bucket. And again, in Haiti, you see all kinds of uh, contraptions that people will haul in. And I think it was just that empty bucket seemed almost too heavy, you know, really for her to carry. Um, so she came in, she got in line, and she worked her way up uh, the line till she could get to the station to have the attendant fill her bucket, and he did. And then she took that bucket, and um, it, it probably weighed 40, 50 pounds, I'm, I guess, as she picked that up, and probably about half her weight at least. And she took that bucket, and she lifted it up in the air, and she sat it on her head, which is in Haiti how heavy things are, are carried mostly by women, when they carry heavy things, they put it on their head. So she put that 40, 50-pound bucket of, of water up on her head, and she steadied herself a bit, and then slowly, surely, she walked out the gate into the busy streets of City Soleil. Um, city Soleil is a suburb of uh, Port-au-Prince. It's part of uh, Port-au-Prince, the main city there. Uh, that neighborhood is the poorest neighborhood um, in Port-au-Prince, which is the poorest city, uh, which is in Haiti, which is the poorest country in the entire Western Hemisphere. So those of you that know your geography, think about the Western Hemisphere. The poorest neighborhood is in Haiti, and this is where this young girl was collecting water. So as she wandered into the crowd and, and I lost sight of her, I began to wonder, how far did she have to go? How far would she carry that heavy bucket on her head? A block? Two blocks? A mile? How many times a day did she have to make that trip? How many people would drink from that bucket? And then I thought about my own home. A place where I don't even think about grabbing a glass of clean, fresh water. Every time I'm in this pulpit, this glass appears with water in it. I have no idea how it gets here. I have no idea who fills it. It's always here. The average American home has 23 sources of fresh, clean, safe drinking water. So go home and count how many places, great thing for the kids to do, how many places can you get fresh, clean, safe drinking water? In a country like Haiti, many villages might have one or two sources of water, and the water is certainly questionable in quality. So whenever I read this text, whenever I hear these stories of the wandering in the desert and the woman at the well, I'm always reminded of the importance of water. And I remember and am reminded of my brothers and sisters around the world who still this day get their daily water at a well. But what I want us to think about today, those of us that have such free access to clean and safe drinking water, is to spend some time thinking about spiritual water, living water, 
we Americans in the last few years have become very good at keeping ourselves hydrated. Many of our modern self-help books tell us to drink lots and lots of water. And we carry around all varieties and kinds of sports bottles and we slurp on them constantly like we live in the Sahara. Yet, as a people, many of us are still spiritually thirsty. As a nation, we are dying of thirst. Yet the living water that never runs dry is within reach. We just don't recognize the source. So that's why our two texts today, the Exodus text and the text from John, might be very important texts for us to, to ponder. Both of these texts, for me, highlight the current state of our wandering around in the desert, searching for that living water. You know, we have more in common with the people in Exodus and with the Samaritan woman than maybe we think we do. We are thirsty for something that seems impossible to find, yet the source is right under our very nose. But that's not a new situation, is it? Throughout the New Testament, people misunderstood Jesus on their first encounter with him many times. This unnamed woman at Jacob's well and all of Jesus' disciples find themselves initially in that number of misunderstanding. Some never come to know who he is. Some never hydrate from the right source. We may be able to quickly quench our human thirst, as Dan explained to the children, but how often are we spiritually dry and parched, and yet we never quench that thirst? In her conversation with Jesus, the Samaritan woman slowly moves from unbelief to belief, from darkness to light, from blindness to sight, from ignorance to knowledge, from misunderstanding to understanding, and from dehydrated to hydrated. The Jesus she first encounters at Jacob's well is only a thirsty Jewish stranger who dares to ask her for a drink of water. Jesus' request is daring because he's speaking to her. He has crossed significant social boundaries and religious boundaries, ethnicity and gender. Yet Jesus speaks first to her not only to just be polite, but because the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into this woman's world. Light had entered her darkness, even though she was not able to see it. Truth was being spoken to her, even though she was not yet able to understand it. One characteristic of the woman is that she is almost totally an outsider. She is literally a woman living in a man's world. She is a stranger to Jesus' religion, Judaism, uh, the common morality of her day, and she's certainly a stranger to the gospel message. So she is insignificant and on the margin. We don't even know her name. Her appearance at noon at the well possibly tells us that maybe she was avoiding the rest of her community as they would generally have come to the well early in the morning or late in the afternoon. So to be there at noontime is somewhat suspect. This woman is a nobody. She does not even merit a name in her gender, religious orientation, social standing, and personal habits would distance her from Jesus and her community. 
we can expect that people in her community would have tried to avoid her and ignore her whenever possible. Being a nobody is not an easy mantle to wear. Most people want to avoid that pain of being nobodies. They want to be recognized. They want to be cherished as somebody who matters. So this text is good news for any of us who have ever been or who have ever felt that humiliation or pain of being a nobody. Because Jesus did not turn away from this woman. On the contrary, he engages her in conversation and he takes her seriously and spends several days in her village. This woman, her community, and their welfare matter to Jesus, whether they're nobodies or not. That's good news for the nobodies of the world. It is also challenging news because it reminds us that people who are nobodies to us may be somebody to Jesus. Who are our nobodies? They are the people we ignore, people we pass by without even acknowledging their presence. Maybe they are our neighbors or strangers. Maybe they are people that walk into our church doors. Or maybe they're people right in our groups that are gathered as we watch this from home, within, even within our own families. We just don't deem them worthy of recognition or greeting. This text reminds us that sometimes our attempts to draw boundaries of our circles of friends or our faith community are too narrow. We often prefer to leave out the nobodies, but Jesus says, do not do that. He welcomes outsiders as well as insiders into discipleship. He also welcomes people who are just starting their journey of faith. The second characteristic of the woman at the well is that she is a newcomer to her faith. And during this conversation with Jesus, she takes small steps toward discipleship. Jesus is so patient with her. He nurtures her. He nudges her along like a parent teaching a child. Jesus can be tender, but he can also be tough. Jesus can be confrontational, but he can also be compassionate. He can be unyielding, but he can also be generous. But he is always and forever our true source of living water. We see his tenderness as he encourages the woman to grow in her faith. And Jesus can be tough too, and the woman gets a taste of that, doesn't she? In the course of her time with him, he uncovers her life story. She will tell the people of her community that he told me everything I have ever done. There's an honesty in the woman's encounter with Jesus that lays open her past, yet she does not seem to be ashamed of it as she confesses it. I wonder how many of us have had a conversation with Jesus about everything that we have ever done. Instead of running and hiding in shame, her encounter with Jesus encourages the woman to go and tell all her friends and her neighbors about this man. By facing her past, confessing her sins, and receiving forgiveness, she is ready for discipleship after Jesus exposes her needs and her failings. She becomes his witness. So our text today tells the dramatic transformation of this woman. She begins the story as an outsider and becomes a witness. 
From her status as a beginner in the faith, she becomes an apostle sent by Jesus himself to testify on his behalf. As such, she is a model for all of us, for people who feel like nobodies, for newcomers to the faith, and for people with a past. Jesus' encounter and his welcome are, is much more about the household of faith and what we can learn and what we can do and be a part of his discipleship. So many of our biblical stories are about water. Maybe we need to pay more attention to water. In the Bible, from creation to the river of life at the end of Revelation, we are a people whose spirituality is framed in the cleansing and the life-giving qualities of water. Where in our lives do we find those rocks or those wells that spring forth the living water? Or have our sources of spiritual hydration just seemed to have run dry? How can we seek and experience the living water of Jesus anew, fresh, each and every day? How do we offer that living, giving water to others? That is our task. That is our duty as disciples of Jesus Christ. So come, my friends, take a long, cool drink of the living water. It is a water that sustains and it satisfies your thirst for eternity. It is a water that gives you life and fills you with grace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.